Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, all three of the U.S. major stock market indexes closed out the week at new all-time record highs as it became apparent that the new tax cut deal was pretty much done. Marco Rubio, who had been a holdout, he caved. And even Corker, the one Republican uh, who was going to vote against the bill because it was going to increase the deficit, he decided to join the party as well. He's now a yes, so the bill is going to pass. We didn't get the uh, compromise details until later uh, Friday afternoon, so I'm recording this podcast uh, Saturday morning. The new top rate, 37%, bottom rate, 10%. But of course, that 37% rate is probably not going to be paid by nearly as many people as the government thinks because this plan is riddled with loopholes. In fact, I believe if this plan passes, we are going to have a tax code that is more gameable, right? Where more people are doing more things to rig the system or exploit the loopholes. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, that's what every American is going to do, right? No American has a legal obligation to pay more taxes than what is owed. And to the extent that you can rearrange your affairs such that you pay the lowest possible tax, that's what everybody is going to do. And that is why the projections that the Republicans are out there with, that this is going to add just $1.5 trillion to the deficit over the next 10 years, are a bunch of nonsense. I'm sure that it will add more than twice as much, more than $3 trillion to the deficit over the next 10 years, above how much the deficit is going to grow anyway during those 10 years. Now, the Republicans try to claim that even though on paper they're going to add 1.5 trillion to the deficit, that it won't really be that big because these tax cuts are going to create all this extra economic growth and that extra growth is going to result in additional revenue. And so if you factor in that additional revenue, you know, some kind of dynamic scoring, then the impact isn't really going to be as large. And that is all a bunch of nonsense because You cannot grow the economy simply by cutting taxes and leaving your rate of spending exactly the same. Because the the damage that the government does through the tax code, a lot of that has to do with spending. Yes, there is some damage done by taxes that is not simply a function of government spending, such as the incentives that the taxes create, right? Taxes can create incentives that undermine economic growth. And they do, particularly the income tax, right? We have a government that taxes people who go out and work 
and subsidizes people who decide not to work, right? If you stay home and you don't work, you get a check. But if you decide to work, you have to write the check, right? And there's an old economic adage that says you get less of what you tax and you get more of what you subsidize. So if you use the tax code to subsidize people not to work or to work less, then you get more of that. If you punish people for working by taxing them, right, then they won't work as hard or as many people will choose not to work. So those incentives are there. Also, you know, when you have taxes, they cause people to make decisions that are motivated by tax consequences rather than economic decisions. So sometimes having a tax will result in decisions being made, resource allocations being made that are not the most optimal from an economic standpoint, but when you view them through the lens of taxes, it makes more sense. But when you have people making decisions for tax reasons, it undermines growth. That is why you want to have a tax system that has the smallest impact on those decisions. That's why it's better to have a consumption-based tax, a national sales tax, or value-added tax than an income tax. And of course, the income tax is preserved in the Republican plan. I mean, we're not moving or changing the nature of the way the government uh, is raising revenue. We're just tweaking uh, the brackets. But the big part here is about all of the loopholes that are being created, that have unintended consequences that are not being scored. See, when they try to project what the added deficits are going to be as a result of these tax cuts, they just assume that people don't change their behavior as a result of the cuts. So when they talk about, oh, we're going to tax pass-through income at a particular rate, they just look at how many people today are claiming pass-through income, and then they figure how much revenue they're going to lose. What they don't consider is how many people who are currently wage earners who are going to become owners of their own LLCs and earning passive income. And so there's going to be a lot more people getting passive income as a result of this tax plan than there are today. And there's going to be a lot fewer people drawing wages and salaries. So the the people who the government thinks are going to be paying taxes, let's say, at a 24% rate based on a new bracket, those people are not going to be at 24 Right? They're going to be at 19, right? because they're going to be operating pass-throughs. They're not going to be employees. And so the government is not going to collect anywhere near as much revenue as they believe. And therefore, the impact on the deficit is going to be much higher. So these deficits are going to explode. And of course, who is going to get blamed for it? The Republicans, right? The fiscally profligate Republicans, they're now going to let the Democrats look like the fiscally responsible party and the Republicans are now the reckless party of of debt. And of course, when the economy goes into recession, which it's going to go into, right, even with these tax cuts, there is again a possibility that the onset of the recession gets postponed as a result of these uh, tax cuts, but there's no way it's going to get postponed beyond the 2020 election. We're going to be in recession. And of course, the closer to the election the recession starts, the worse it is, right? If, you, if you're hoping to get uh, President Trump reelected or if you're hoping to maintain a Republican Congress. And of course, the recession will be blamed on these tax cuts, whether the tax cuts cause it or not. And of course, the tax cuts aren't going to cause it. I mean, it's going to happen anyway, with or without the cuts. 
But because they cut taxes on the rich, that is going to play right into the Democratic narrative that the tax cuts on the rich is why we have a recession. But let me just go back and go over all the various ways that this new system is going to be gamed uh, by the taxpayers. And nobody's really talking about this in the mainstream media, which is you know why you want to listen to the Peter Schiff Show podcast to actually know what is going on. Right? Because they just take this stuff at face value, and none of the, of course, Republicans are going to point this out. They don't want to criticize it. The Democrats, you know, aren't thinking about any of this stuff. But let's start with the corporate tax, right? The corporate tax is going to go down to 21%, right? The current corporate tax rate is 35%. Now, obviously, the total corporate tax rate is a combination of that 35% plus what individuals would pay on their dividend income, which is another uh, you know, 23.8% when you add the Obamacare taxes. And by the way, of course, they repeal the penalty for people who don't buy insurance, but the Obamacare tax is still there right, to fund Obamacare. So they're not repealing Obamacare. It's still there. It's just that if you don't buy health insurance, you're not going to pay a penalty, which means fewer people will buy health insurance, which means health insurance will be a lot more expensive for those people who do buy it. And that's part of the plan, right? They are deliberately making health insurance more expensive so that they can pretend that the impact on the deficit is is smaller. But here is the big significance of this corporate tax rate reduction. And look, I'm in favor of eliminating the corporate tax, but I also want to cut government spending. Uh, in order to make up for the lost revenue, right? But here is the the big deal. So right now, the corporate rate is 35%. The top individual rate was 39%. So right away, the difference, right, between the corporate rate and the individual rate is not that much. But as a result of this new plan, it's a much bigger difference, 21 versus 37 and of course, it's not really 37, because when you add the 3.8% tax, it's 40.8%. So 21% is about half of the individual rate. Now, of course, if you pay yourself a dividend and you add on another 24%, then you're at 45, you know, you're pretty close again to the individual rate. But here's the point. See, you don't have to pay the individual tax the second round until you either pay a dividend or sell your stock and pay capital gains. But there is a deferral. So let's say you're a wealthy individual and you have a lot of interest income and you're paying a tax on that interest income of uh, 40.8%. If you incorporate, you can have the corporation earn the income instead of you. And now the corporation is just going to pay a tax of 21%. That's half. Now, you know, Yes, if you pay yourself a dividend, you'd be worse off, but you don't have to pay yourself a dividend. You can let the money accumulate indefinitely, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and now you can compound it because you can take all that money you don't pay in taxes and you can invest it in more interest-earning instruments. So over time, it really builds up. Now, of course, you have to have extra income. You have to not need to spend your income right away, right? Because you're not going to get the benefit of it. It's going to be sitting in your corporation. But if you're wealthy and you were just trying to accumulate, you know, a larger nest egg, then obviously there's an incentive to do it through the corporate structure. That incentive exists today, but it's much, much smaller because the differential isn't nearly as large. But now Congress has opened up this bigger differential. And so what that means is that more income that is now 
uh, personal income that is being taxed at the personal rate after this bill passes, a lot of that income is now going to be diverted to corporations. And so instead of the government maybe collecting the 40.8% tax, which they budgeted, they're not going to collect 408 They're going to collect 21 Now, here's the way uh, somebody completely gets out of ever having to pay the secondary tax is if the individual that's earning all this corporate interest, if he dies and now he leaves the shares in this corporation to his heirs, they get a stepped up basis so that there is no capital gains at all on the inherited shares. And so the second level of taxation never occurs. And so it's a, it, the only taxes that are going to be paid will be 21 versus the 40.8 that would have been paid had there been distributions at the 37% rate plus the Obamacare tax. So what this is going to do is it is going to cost the government a lot of money uh, because they're just they're, they're going to lose revenue. And also there are going to be people who are going to incorporate very high income earners who don't spend, you know, who most of their income, who only spend a small fraction of their income. They will incorporate, they will have a greater incentive to incorporate than they do now. But the moral hazard is much greater, I think, when it comes to pass-throughs. This is where you're going to see a lot of individuals quitting their jobs and becoming independent contractors for their former employers. Now, Congress says, well, we have some protections in here. They do, but only to a degree, because if you are a service provider, which means an accountant, a lawyer, a stockbroker, a mortgage broker, any of these people, once your income is above 315000 if you're a married couple or half that if you're single, right, you lose this deduction. The deduction is you get to exclude 20% of your income from taxation. Now, what that means is if you earn 315000 if you're a married guy, let's say your wife doesn't work and you make $315,000 per year, you qualify for the entire 20% exclusion. And what that basically means is if you earn exactly $315,000 and you're married, your tax bracket is 24%. But if you uh, figure that 20% of that income is no longer going to be taxed, your effective rate is actually 19.2%. There's a savings of $15,000. Now, how do you get that savings? Well, you have to be an independent contractor working for your own LLC. So for example, let's say you work as a lawyer right now. You're an associate at a law firm and you're making exactly 315000 a year. That's your salary. If you quit and you set up your own law firm to be a consultant for your current employer and your old law firm pays the $315,000 to you. In fact, they'll probably end up paying you a little bit more because they don't have to pay social security taxes on your behalf, but now you have to pay the self-employment tax, but that is going to end up being a wash. But just forget that for the purpose of this this podcast. But so your your employer now pays you the money that they used to pay you in salary, but now they pay it to your consulting firm, which books it as revenue. Now, your consulting firm is going to have some operating expenses Right? Maybe you're going to have an office at your house, so you're going to have a home office deduction. Uh, you're going to have other business expenses, which, by the way, are eliminated, eliminated uh, in, the, in, the, in this proposal. See, right now, if you're an employee, if you're a lawyer and you work for a law firm and you have business-related expenses that are not reimbursed by your employer, if they exceed 2% of your income, you can deduct them. 
So if you set up a home office, if you use your car for business, if you travel or entertain and your employer doesn't reimburse you for those costs, you can still take a write-off. All that is gone. But if you operate an LLC, all those write-offs are preserved. So your old employer now pays what used to be your salary is now a revenue that your LLC is earning. And now you deduct your, your rent, uh, your b- business use of your car, your business entertainment, your business travel, your computers, your cell phone, everything you need to do business. And then, you know, you pay tax on what's left over. And, and now you're going to see a significant tax savings because even without all the various business deductions, assuming that you had no deductions, which, you know, everybody's going to have deductions, but even if you had no deductions, there'd be about a $15,000 savings. But when you factor in all the deductions, I would say there'll end up being maybe a twenty dollars or $25,000 savings that uh, an individual would earn by quitting his job and becoming an, an independent contractor. And what that means is that the government would earn $25,000 less in tax revenue from that individual than what they are currently using to determine what the impact of the deficit is going to be of this bill. Because a lot of people that they think are going to be in a certain bracket because they're employees and they're receiving salaries, once the bill is passed, they are no longer going to be employees. They're going to be operating their own pass-through entities and they're going to be qualifying for this 20% break and they're going to be writing off all sorts of business expenses that they are not now writing off. So this is a huge hole in an already gaping hole in, in the budget. Now, of course, once you start to get above the uh, $315,000, right, as a couple and lower as an individual, this 20% exclusion starts to phase out so that eventually it's phased out completely. Now, what does that mean? That means that the marginal tax rate on any money that you earn above $315,000 is enormous, right? It is such a high tax rate. Now, I haven't even calculated how the phase out works. But the tax rate is probably 50, 60%, 70%, because not only do you pay taxes on the additional income, but you lose uh, portions of your credit. So that basically acts as an added tax. So what does that mean? That means if you're making $315,000, you have an incentive not to make three hundred and sixteen. dollars You may end up actually being worse off at three sixteen, dollars depending on how this thing phases out. So People that are operating their own LLCs will, will, will go to a lot of uh, you know extent to make sure that their income doesn't go up. What they really want is their expenses to go up. Whether they're legitimate or not, they want to keep their income lower uh, in order to minimize the impact of this tax. Now, obviously, if your income can jump from 315000 to a million, well, okay, you're going to let that happen. But you know, because even then, you know, you're after tax, you're still much better off. But at the margin, when you're just trying to get above that, people have more incentives to increase their expenses rather than increase their revenue. So they don't fall into this uh, really, really high tax bracket. But assuming people now are earning much bigger incomes, 1 million, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million a year, and their employees, or even if they have LLCs, right now they're paying tax at the individual rate. This is all going to change because what's going to happen is higher income people, right, are going to find ways to restructure uh, their businesses and separate them into multiple LLCs. For example, let's say you're an athlete and you're making, you're a professional basketball player and you're making, you know, $5 million a year 
through your own LLC that you've already set up, right? Now, this LLC, there are all kinds, I didn't even want to get it, there's all kinds of complicated formulas where when you're not in the financial services industry, you have to have all kinds of formulas where uh, the rates have to be a certain percentage of the payroll or the W-2 income. And, you know, I read this stuff and it's so complicated, I can't even understand it. I mean, that's another problem. This is probably going to be the most complex tax code for businesses we probably ever had. And so this is a major step in the wrong direction as far as simplicity is concerned. They have complicated the hell out of the tax code and it was already complicated. So this is a dream for the accountants, for you know the tax lawyers. They're going to have a field day. So many people now that are just doing their taxes on TurboTax or H&R Brock, they're going to need a much more expensive tax advice. So this is, you know, this is going to really be a windfall uh, for the swamp, right? They seem to always come out ahead uh, no matter what they do. Whenever Congress promises to simplify taxes, you better believe that they're going to complicate the hell out of them. But getting back to the example here of the athlete, the athletes are going to split their businesses up into various businesses. Maybe they get some endorsements. And so maybe right now uh, they have all their revenue streams coming through the same LLC. They get their main uh, money from the basketball team that they're playing for, right? They get their annual payment. Their, you know, that wouldn't be a salary, but whatever they're getting paid each year to play ball, they get that. And then if they have any endorsement money, well, that probably goes through um, from various products. What they'll do is they'll set up separate LLCs so that some of the LLCs might be exempt from some of these rules. So instead of just having one LLC, you have two, three, four, a dozen of them, each one with different income streams and therefore different ways of, uh, of testing, you know, whether or not it qualifies for the 20% exemption, right? And, and, and so this is, this is going to be going on, right? People with higher incomes will find ways around uh, these safeguards. They are going to be able to navigate their way through this and rearrange their businesses and restructure their LLCs in ways that they will be able to get much more savings than what the government is currently estimating based on the way the situation is today because they are not factoring in the way people will alter their behavior to try to qualify for as many tax breaks as they can. Also, one of the things that's going to happen is that if you are a passive investor in an LLC, right, meaning that you don't actively work, you just collect your money, then none of this stuff matters, right? You're just going to be at the 20% exclusion all the way up, right? All, no matter how much income there is. So right now, the top tax bracket is 37%. But if you can exclude 20% of that, that drops the top tax rate to 29.6%. Well, 29.6 is a lot lower than 37, right? And, and so what might somebody do who's making 4 or $5 million uh, working for their own LLC? That's a larger business that has a lot more employees, but they're personally taking a certain amount of money out of it. What they do is they retire. They become passive, right? If it's a family business, let's say you're 60 years old, you're kind of running a business and you're paying 37% tax, on the income that you derive, you know what you say, it's time for me to retire. I'm just going to continue to have a ownership interest in this family business, but I'm not going to work. I'm now going to be passive. I'm going to let my kids run it or my nephew or whoever. 
Now, of course, even though you're passive, you can still have a role. You can still kind of behind the scenes, give advice and stuff like that. But the minute you kind of step back and you say, look, I'm not really working anymore. I'm just a passive investor. Now you dramatically reduce your your, your taxes. And that, that's going to happen. A lot of people are going to do that. And of course, now that you have done this, I mean, there might be a lot of people now that uh, go into uh, corporate structures to turn to get passive income that is now going to be taxed at a, at a at a much lower rate than income would be uh, from corporate dividends. Because if you actually take a corporate dividend, you're going to have double taxation right now. So even with the lower 21% rate on corporations, and then you pay uh, a 37% tax on that, you know you're still looking at about a 50% tax on corporate uh, dividends. If the corporation pays the tax, pays the dividend, and then you pay the tax, right? If you own it as an individual versus now on the pass-through rate, it would be just under 30%. That's what, a 60% reduction in the the tax that would flow through to the owner. So again, more people now are going to maybe decide, hey, I have a corporation now. I'm going to set this up as an LLC instead because it's now more favorable than it was before. So all this is going to go on and all of this is going to result in the government collecting far less in tax revenue across the board than they are currently projecting. Now, you know, one of the biggest revenue raisers in the entire tax plan, I don't know the exact amount of it, is the elimination of the uh, SALT deduction, the state and local tax deduction. Now, by the way, they did end up with the limitation. So they haven't eliminated it completely. You can deduct $10,000 of taxes, right? And any, any local taxes, whether it's real estate taxes, sales taxes, income taxes, you get to deduct up to a maximum of $10,000 of state taxes from your uh, federal income tax. Now, the government obviously assumes a lot of revenue from this. They are wrong. They are wrong. They may get that revenue for one year, right, 2018. They are not going to get it for 2019. Now, I've mentioned this before on a podcast, but I'm going to mention it again. These state legislatures are not idiots, right? They are going to react to this bill. Now, even though they eliminate the ability of individuals to deduct their state income taxes, they did not remove the ability of businesses, corporations, right? They are still allowed to deduct whatever they pay in state income taxes from their taxes. So what is going to happen now is that state governments are going to work on changing their tax codes. They are going to want to levy more taxes on businesses, on corporations, on their payroll, payroll taxes. So let's say they, they uh, somebody right now, a corporation, is paying a worker $100,000. And let's say there was, let's say, a 10% income tax. I'm just making these numbers up they're not, they're just so we can illustrate it. And then the, the individual worker was getting paid $100,000, and then he was paying $10,000 in taxes. So he, he didn't have, he had, after tax, he had $90,000. But he got to write off that $10,000 on his federal income taxes, and, and so you know the, it, it, he got some of it back. But let's say 
the state says, oh, there's no more personal income tax. We're going to eliminate that. We're just going to have a 10% a payroll tax. And now, instead of the worker getting $100,000 and then paying $10,000 in taxes, he just gets a check for $90,000. Why $90,000? Because the employer had to take $10,000 to pay the payroll tax. So that's $10,000 that's not available to pay the worker. Instead of paying the worker $100,000, and then the worker sends the state a check for $10,000, the employer just, you know, pays the worker his ninety thousand and sends the government to ten thousand. Boom. So the worker is exactly the same, but now the business gets to write off the ten grand tax payment to the state, whereas the individual wouldn't have been able to write it off. And so now the government does not get the tax revenue that they thought because the the states have altered the way they tax. Now the the states will probably leave taxes, income taxes on. Uh, interest in capital gains, because that's not associated with payroll. So they'll probably, a state that now has maybe, let's say if they have an 8% income tax, they might just say, okay, we're going to repeal our income tax on wages and salaries, right? We're not going to have any income tax on wages and salaries. We'll just have an income tax on interest, dividends, and capital gains, right? But instead of having an 8% tax on salaries, we're just going to have an 8% payroll tax on businesses that pay salaries. It's the exact same revenue to the state, it's the exact same consequence to the workers. He just pays the taxes indirectly through his employer. But all of the added revenue that the federal government was going to get based on the elimination of the SALT deduction, it's all gone. So what does all this mean? So the government is not going to get this windfall from eliminating the SALT deductions or limiting the SALT deductions. They're going to have a lot more people than they think who are going to be gaming the system to reduce their income by reclassifying it as uh, distributions on LLCs, on pass-throughs, rather than actual wages and salaries. And you're going to have lots of people incorporating in order to shelter their income, their current income from tax, right? So this is going to lose a lot more revenue. And also, it's going to lead to more inequalities and make the system, you know, inherently uh, less fair. Because if you've got two people, right, that are doing the exact same job, right, and have the exact same income, they're going to pay very different tax rates depending on how they've structured their affairs. If one person is working for wages, right, and another person sets up an LLC, the person who sets up the LLC is going to have a much lower tax rate than the person who's an employee, even though they are doing the exact same thing. Now, of course, you can say, well, then, you know, the other person can go ahead and, and set up his LLC, but you know, may, maybe he doesn't think about it or maybe he doesn't uh, go through the hassle. And so he just doesn't do it for whatever reason, but he's going to pay a higher tax because he is an employee and not running his own LLC. And of course, since we have opened up these big tax breaks that don't exist now, right, people are going to spend a lot more time and a lot more of their resources trying to figure out how to lower their taxes, how to restructure their business, right? How to change the way they're working in order to save this money. That is uneconomic activity. All of the time and all the energy and all the resources that are now going to be devoted to helping people lower their taxes is a drag on the economy because all of these resources could have been used more productively, but they're not going to be used more productively. They're going to be used to uh, lower tax liability. So at the end of the day, the Republicans who control 
both houses of Congress and the White House had an opportunity to actually reform taxes, our tax code, to actually make it simpler, make it fairer, make it you know less destructive of economic growth, and they completely blew that, and they opted again for a politically expired, uh, inspired um, uh, tax cut that favors certain interest groups over others, just so they can claim that they cut taxes, and more importantly, they had an opportunity to cut government spending, and they didn't take it. Now, I know there are people who are saying, well, we'll cut government spending later. No way. Once they get the tax cuts, they're never going to cut spending. That's like, you know, your kid says, look, let me have my dessert first, and then I'm going to eat my dinner. Now, once she eats the dessert, there's no, why eat the dinner? Then you're done. You're filled up on dessert, right? I mean, if they pass the tax cuts, there's no chance in hell they're going to pass spending cuts. The key was to tie the spending cuts to the tax cuts. So you tell Republicans, you want to cut taxes, great, cut spending, right? And if you cut spending, you can cut taxes. But once the taxes are cut, what is the political motivation to the Republicans for now cutting spending? There is none. They already got to eat their dessert. Why should they eat the spinach? There's no reason to. So this was an opportunity because Republicans all wanted tax cuts. So we could have enacted spending cuts. We could have made it part of the same package, but we didn't do it. In fact, you know what the next package they're talking about is an infrastructure spending package. That's the next thing they want to vote on. So first, they want to reduce the revenues coming to the federal government. And the next thing they want to do is have a bill that increases the expenditures. Now, that one will probably pass. Even if you have some Republicans, right, they're going to come out and say, this is a terrible bill. It's more government spending. It's going to add to the deficit, right? The same Republicans who didn't care about adding to the deficit when it was a tax cut that added to the deficit. But when they have a government spending bill, right, they're, they're going to object to that. But you're going to have plenty of Republicans who are going to want the extra spending, especially since a lot of it will be in their districts. But there it will be a bipartisan bill. If there is a bill to go deep into debt, right, to spend a lot of money on infrastructure, the Democrats are going to be all over that. So it doesn't even matter if they only get a handful of Republicans, right, you'll get all the Democrats voting for it. And now Trump can say, look, it's bipartisan. I've brought the parties together, right, on this big infrastructure bill. And of course, how are they going to object to the deficit impact? Hey, we weren't objecting to deficits when we were cutting taxes on the rich, Deficits weren't a concern when we were cutting taxes for corporations. So why should we care about deficits when we're spending money for the people, when we're spending money on infrastructure, when we're spending money on anything? Right now, it's like we got carte blanche to spend money and run up the deficits because, hey, you know, we're willing to run up the deficits to benefit the rich and the corporations. So how about, uh, you know, kids that want education or how about, you know, we need uh, new housing or we need better health care, Right. So there's no more fiscal responsibility because once you've said, hey, we're willing to run up the deficit so we can give away tax cuts to rich people who don't need it, well, then there's no reason to ever object to running up the deficits. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So the, the effect on the deficits are going to be huge. This is going to explode, right? When, when Trump was first elected, go back and look at my commentary. That was the first one I did. I wrote, future deficits are going to be huge. And that's exactly what's happening. We are reducing revenue. We are going to be dramatically increasing expenditures, and these deficits are going to blow through the roof. When we get this coming recession, we're going to see deficits not only over $1 trillion a year, but over $2 trillion a year. 
And the national debt under Trump, who knows how high it's going to be. I don't think he's going to be president for the next eight years. But I do think over the next eight years, we will see the national debt double again if there isn't an intervening crisis, which there very well may be in the dollar to bring it all to an end. And that would mean that over the next eight years, we'll see the national debt doubling from $20 trillion to $40 trillion. <laughs> 